Well, it is again my joy to be here with you this evening. I'm sorry that my family was not able to be here with me. My family is extended family is in from out of town, so uh, we were uh, with them today, and they are going to church together tonight uh, back at at home. But it is good to be here with you today. I enjoy being out in this part of the city. I always say it's good to be north of. 696, and this is a good part of town. In case you wonder, this is the good part of town. It doesn't get any better than this. And I grew up in Wald Lake, Novi area, and uh, enjoyed being out here. I, I uh, went to a, a church uh, out in that area that was similar in, in so many ways with this uh, with this congregation here. I feel like I've stepped back uh, to my uh, youth days and. Uh, enjoy being here with you. I just sense a camaraderie among your church family and uh, would love to see Pastor Elwert in action. The problem with that is that I have regular minister responsibilities where I minister. So it's, I was just sitting there thinking it would be neat to see uh, this church uh, with, with all of its parts uh, functioning on a given Sunday and yet uh, uh, we'll worship the Lord together in heaven one day and see, uh, see that church, uh, the universal church there. But anyway, uh, it has been my joy to be here with you today. And, and uh, I did interact with Pastor Elwood this afternoon. I told him I went a little long this morning, and uh, and I hope that I brought my short one with me tonight, and I'll make up for that. But thank you for your kindness today. It has been a joy to be here and interact with you. I can tell that I'm getting a little bit older in in ministry and in life as the years go by. I, uh, you know, sometimes you think when when you're younger that uh, you know you're going to be young forever. I realize I'm getting older. Um, I was looking this up on the internet. There were some signs to tell that you're getting older. You know, you're getting older when everything in your body hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. Uh, you know you're getting older when your little black book only contains names of people that end in M.D. Uh, you know you're getting older when your favorite part of the newspaper is the 20 years ago today section. Uh, you know you're getting older when your back goes out more than you do. And you know you're getting older when you sink your teeth into a stake and they stay there. And uh, in, in those ways and other ways we all know that we're getting older I think one of the things that I've realized in, in getting older uh, is that I look forward to heaven more and more every day. We've had an extraordinary year in our ministry. Uh, as we look back over the past 52 weeks, there's been a number of people who are in heaven today, and we never could have expected that the Lord would have called them home to heaven. In fact, the year started with one of our men on our staff who had retired from a company came to work on our staff as our maintenance supervisor and in a terrible accident one day fell and and died there at our church building and that's how our year started and it's been just a a uh, extraordinary year in that way and I was reflecting these past few days over Christmas thinking about all those people who are in heaven uh, celebrating if we can say it in this, this way Christmas in heaven for the very first time and, and how that must be to worship Jesus there in heaven for this very first time that they're there during Christmas. And I know that thought brings comfort to their family. And yet, I, I, I guess I just look forward to heaven more and more every day. 
and I know I'm getting older because 20 years ago, I, I, I probably wouldn't have said that 20 years ago, my wife and I have been married for 22 years, and I know 22 and a half years ago I was saying, Lord, I want you to come back, but just wait till I get married, and then you can come back. And, uh, and now all these years later, I look forward to heaven more and more every day. I don't know if that's how you are about heaven. I don't know what the thought of heaven means to you. Um, I look forward to heaven um, so much every day. I think the thing that I look forward to most about heaven, obviously the thing that we would all look forward to heaven, I shouldn't say obviously, we should say it first and foremost, is seeing Jesus. Can you imagine seeing Jesus face to face? And what would be the first thoughts when you see Jesus? I mean, having talked about what we did this morning and even in this passage tonight that we'll look at, uh, the song that we just even sang just a few moments ago, Our Great Savior, um, that he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. You know, I, I don't know what we'll think and say when we see Jesus for the first time except, wow, on our face, thank you, Lord. And uh, so I look forward to that in heaven. I, I think one of the things that we look forward to about heaven is never having to deal with indwelling sin any longer. Yeah, the longer I'm a Christian, the longer I face the battles of living in a sin-cursed world with a sinful nature, the, the more I look forward to heaven when we don't have to have our sin nature with us any longer. And won't that be great to be able to worship the Lord and, and, and serve and, and love him unhindered by that, uh, that sinful nature that we carry around with us every day. Um, we looked at the first three chapters of Genesis this morning and, and understood that God made this earth perfect. And yet in our sin, in Adam and Eve as our representative, we have all inherited a, a sin nature that we carry with us uh, every day. And we do battle against that. Uh, Paul recognized his sinful nature when he said in Romans, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And he recognized that. And if Paul was struggling with his sinful nature, having progressed in his sanctification to the point that he had, um, my friend, you know, the hope for us is when we die, we'll be released from that. But if Paul struggled with it, we're going to struggle with it with our in, in our entire lifetime. And maybe as you've struggled with your sinful nature, you have thought some of the words that I have thought as I was reading the Psalms we live in a sinful world. We live with filth all around us. I mean, you can't hardly watch even sports on TV and, and, and the things that you would see even driving down the road without constantly having to guard your eyes and guard what comes in your eyes and what comes in your ears. And uh, we just live in, in a sinful world and filth all around us. The psalmist said this, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire, and therefore there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. I am weary with crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Deliver me, the psalmist says in Psalm 69, from the mire, and do not let me sink. May I be delivered from my foes and from the deep waters. May the, flood, may the flood of water not overflow me, nor the deep swallow me up, nor this pit shut its mouth on me. He says, O oh God, deliver me 
from this world, from the people of the world who seek to tear me down. The reality of our sinfulness is far worse than we ever could have imagined. We're sinners, okay? And, and, and I don't need a show of hands from you this evening to recognize that, but certainly we all recognize that we're sinners. And the reality of our sin is that we don't even see our sin as clearly as it is. We're blinded by our sinfulness, and the blindness of our sinfulness makes us think that we're better than we really are. In fact, um, there's an author that has that has uh, commented on this. He says this. He says because we can see sin in other people, we think we see it clearly in ourselves. In other words, yeah, I can look at you and I can see your sin, right? And I think because I see your sin that I see my sin. But the reality is that I don't see myself clearly, even though I might see sin in your life. You know, you ever been somewhere and maybe you were eating dinner and eating dinner at a place and you had one of those dinner rolls with those seeds in them? And one of those seeds got lodged in your teeth, right, the middle tooth of your upper uh, teeth. And, uh, man, you were smiling and carried on conversation, and, and you thought you were being winsome and, uh, and articulate and, and making an impression. And then you excused yourself and went to the restroom and looked in the mirror, and you had all those big old seeds right in the middle of your te- teeth. And the whole time you were thinking they were laughing at your jokes and what you were saying, they were laughing at you. Why? Because you had a problem. You had a seed stuck in that tooth, and, 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 and you couldn't see it clearly. And maybe you had somebody who was kind enough to you to say, you know what, you got a little something there, you better go check it out. And maybe nobody was kind enough to you like that, and you had to find it out on yourself. We all have those kind of issues in our lives, and we don't see it clearly until we examine ourselves with God's Word. And many times the means of grace for us to change our lives isn't just God's Word, but it is God's Word that is applied to us by one of his people. It's an interesting phrase. It's an interesting verse. And by the way, this is all introduction, okay? Long introduction, short sermon, hopefully. But there's a verse that's interesting in Ephesians 4. It says, But no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Okay, are you familiar with that verse? Ephesians 4, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, only such a word as is, as is what? As is beneficial that it may minister grace to those who hear. Do you realize that you need other believers in your life to minister God's grace to you? The means of God's grace is His Word. The means of God's grace is is His Spirit. And the means of God's grace is His people ministering God's truth. Because I'm a sinner, I don't see my sin clearly. I might see your sin and think because I can see your sin, I can see my own. But my sin, the perception of my sin is as clear as a carnival mirror. You ever been in one of those carnival mirrors? That's how well we see our own sin. And we need the gracious interaction of other believers to point out that sin. The point is that we live in a sinful world with sin all around us, filth around us. And and we don't even recognize how much we are tainted and and smell of of sin. Uh, 
you know, I don't know, guys, if you've ever been working out maybe in the garage and talking about woodworking this morning or you've been sweating and, and you've been working out in the yard and ladies, maybe, you know, you've been doing some work and you've been getting your hands dirtier and, and you know, your husband or that, that guy comes in from working outside and he comes in the house and you go, you need to go take a bath. You need to go take a shower because you smell. Okay? I didn't perceive that I smelled until I came around people who didn't have that same smell and it stood out just like that. Okay? And because we live in a sinful world, so many times we pick up those attitudes and those actions and those thoughts and we don't even see it clearly in our lives until somebody, by God's grace, ministers that grace to us. And points that out. And so, we live in this kind of world, surrounded by sin, and we don't even realize it. And we say, oh, Lord, please deliver me. I can't wait till I get to heaven when I'm released from that sinful nature and the surrounding of sin. See, the consequences of our sin are, are dire. We're surrounded by it. Sin is in us. And as we talked about this morning, if... In our sin, we have not taken God's remedy. The consequences of our sin as a sinner is very dire. We're separated from God. For the wages of sin is death. And those without Christ are separated from God. They will face a God to judge them for all of eternity because of their sin. And I know tonight I speak to a group who, who for the most part, have professed faith in Christ. And by God's grace, God has remedied that solution in your conversion. But let me ask you this. As a believer, are the consequences of your sin as a believer dire in your life as a Christian? Well, we've been saved from the penalty of our sin, but in this world we face the consequences. Interesting verse in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Husbands, dwell with your wife in an understanding way. Guys, you know how the rest of that verse goes? That your prayers be not hindered. 1 Peter 3, 7. You know, men, if we live in a certain way, and there's strife and, 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 and tension in our home, and we're responding sinfully, do you know what God says? The consequences of that sin, and He's talking to believers hinders our prayer life. So, this evening, sir, ma'am, do you realize that, that when you leave here tonight and you go home and you sit down at home and you kind of unwind from the day and, and, and all of a sudden maybe you're starting to watch your television show and the bombardment of that sin coming your way, you can't stop fighting that battle. If you do, there are dire consequences to that sin. It's a separation from God, not as, a, not as the fact that you would lose your salvation, but there's, as, as Jesus talked to Peter, there's that, there's that dirt that gets on our feet that needs to be washed. And it hinders our relationship with the Lord. It hinders our relationship with others. Do you remember what it says in, in Philippians 4? Do you remember it says uh, Paul is admonishing that church? And he said there were two people in that church who needed to be helped they needed to walk in, in harmony. What were their names? Do you remember? Isn't it something like Iodia, Iodia and Syntyche? 
Those are two pretty interesting names. I thought Tracy was bad. But anyway, you know, and Paul says, I urge you to help these two Philippians 4 to live in harmony. There was some sort of tension in their church. And that was a consequence of their sin. The consequences of our sin are dire. It separates us from God. It separates us from each other. Maybe even this morning as we contemplated our sin and, and, and considered the doctrines of grace this morning, you come back tonight and, and I don't know if you, you feel a weight of your sin. The fact that you love the Lord, but this sin just seems to hang on and you can't shake it. And tonight, I, by God's grace, would want to give you some help and some hope. Maybe you've come tonight under the weight of the prevailing presence of sin in your life. For you, living in a sin-cursed world with a sinful nature has caused you to become discouraged and battle-weary. And maybe you're like, Tracy, I don't know how you can face this another day. Maybe others have come tonight as a believer who is groaning under the weight of a specific habitual sin. You sense that deeply that this sin is wrong, and yet you seem unable to break free from it. You feel like you're in a deep pit and you're full of despair. Well, tonight, if these words in any way reflect maybe what's going on in your heart, if tonight these things reflect anyway what is going on in your heart, tonight, by God's grace, through the words of, God's, of what God says in the Scriptures, I would want to give you hope. There is hope for you tonight. And what's interesting about the Bible, and by the way, I noticed as, as the announcements were given today that there's a Bible reading plan for next year. You know what I found in our Bible reading plan this year at our church? We were working through the Bible together. I found that by God's grace and because of His providential working, as we follow that plan, it's almost like the Lord knew on this day I needed that particular chapter with the truth that He had for me there. And so I just challenge you to get into that plan and read your Bible this year. You will find that it will be such a, such a cause of, of you giving thanks to God and Him already knowing on, on March the 3rd, <laughs> that passage that you need for that day with the truth in it, will guide and, and direct your path. So as you do that, I may encourage you to read that. But the Bible portrays life as it really is. The Bible doesn't portray life as a, as a fairy tale or as pristine. The Bible portrays life as it really is. And I think one of the books that really does that, and it does it so often throughout the Scriptures, but one of the books that really helps us to see life as it is is the book of Psalms. Found that as you've read the book of Psalms, the psalmist doesn't have all the answers. Uh, I, I sat in my office this week, interacted with uh, with a gentleman, and 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 we sat there together. And said, you know what? We don't know right now what all the answers are, but we do know that God's word has given us to direct us to the answers. And in some ways, the Bible is is reflecting the reality of of not having all the answers. Uh, in our personal struggle, but knowing that God does have those answers and directing us to Him. And so the Bible doesn't portray life as uh, pristine, as, as, a, as a, a book that shows us that there are no problems in life. 
The Bible shows us that life is filled with problems, and it gives us the answers to life's problems. So, having said all those things, would you take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 130. Psalm 130 is one of those psalms that I believe helps us to see life as it really is. This is a psalm of ascents. It's a psalm that the, that the worshipers in this time when it was written would, would sing as they prepared to worship God in His temple. It's a song of lament, though, which begins with the realities of the sinfulness that we would experience and the realities of the psalmist's reflection on those things. Psalm 130, if you will, I'll read all eight verses of the psalm. It says this in Psalm 130, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with Him is abundant redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. As I said, this is a psalm of ascent that they would sing as they go to prepare to worship. It's a psalm that is a is a lament of their own sinfulness and what they find hope in God regarding their sinfulness. The hope is found the hope is found not in relief from physical suffering or from even in this life being delivered from sin, from the presence of sin, hope is found in what God has promised to do. And so tonight we will look at this passage. If I summed it up in a statement, it's this. When you sense the tremendous weight of your sin, when you sense the tremendous weight of your sin, Cry out to God for His help, and you'll discover the incredible delight of who He is. If you're sensing the weight of your sin, if you're sensing the the weight of of living in a sin-cursed world and how that is, is smelling and making you smell like the world, well, if that's your condition, then cry out to God for His help. And you'll discover the incredible delight of who he is. So, two things. Number one, what do you do? What do you do? Number one, embrace the bad news of your sin. Embrace the bad news of your sin. When we speak of the gospel, we speak of a a gospel which is good news, right? The gospel is, is good news. In order to understand the good news of the gospel, though, you have to embrace the bad news that the gospel preaches. The bad news of the gospel is what we talked about this morning. 
God made us. And if, by the way, this is free. Okay, again, this is just extra. But if I had to boil down what a simple gospel would be, it would be five things that I could point out and remember on my, on my left hand. Number one, that God is amazing in His greatness and glory. God is amazing. And that's what we looked at this morning, right? Chapter 1, chapter 2. Amazing. Spoke, and the world came into being. What kind of world? A beautiful world. Perfect. Why? Because it reflects His glory. God's amazing in His glory. Number two, man is incredibly sinful. We have fallen short of God's glory. That's Genesis chapter 3, the first part, right? We've fallen short of God's glory. Number three, that Jesus Christ was incredibly gracious. Jesus Christ came to the earth and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He provided that covering that was previewed in Genesis 3. The, the, the payment for sin that would cover, which would, which would take away our sin. So God is amazing in the splendor. We are sinful and falling short of God's glory. Jesus Christ is amazing in His grace. Number four, our responsibility is to turn from our sin and trust Christ. We are to be sin-repenting people. And we see that in salvation. By the way, we see that in our daily walk, don't we? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. So it doesn't stop at our conversion that it's every day that we're embracing the Gospel. And God is amazing. We are sinful. Christ is gracious. We are to repent and trust Christ alone. And number five, we now live with a renewed purpose to our life. Ephesians chapter 2 says, verse 8 and 9, For by grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. What's verse 10 of Ephesians 2 say? For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. See, that's number five. We've, I'm no longer my own. I, I now have a new purpose to my life. And, and we say all that to say we must embrace the bad news of the gospel. The bad news first is that we are sinners and we have fallen short of God's glory. Verses 1 through 3 in Psalm 130 bring us face to face with the bad news of the gospel. What does it say? It says, verse 3, O Lord, if you would mark iniquities, who can stand? And what do you say to that verse? Not me. And you see it in verse 1, Out of the depths I cried, Lord, hear my voice. I'm, I'm, I'm sinking deep. I can't do it. I need your help. Verse 3 says, if you should mark iniquities, we're all toast. Okay, We're in trouble. The psalmist is brought face to face with the bad news of the gospel. Psalm 15 verses 1 and 2 says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks with integrity... He who works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Okay? So if that's the standard to abide in heaven with God, okay? How are you doing? You making it? <laughs> you know, can we can we live up to that standard? We can't do that in and of ourselves, can we? Who may dwell in, in your holy hill? Walk in integrity. 
walk and work righteousness, speak the truth. And so the psalmist in Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my supplications. He is sinking down in a pit, as it were, of quicksand. You remember those old TV shows? If you're maybe older than 40-something, you know, you remember those old Tarzan shows? I, every, they were on Saturday afternoon, it seems like, you know. Tarzan was running through the forest, and, or forest, yeah, through the jungle, and uh, he hits the quicksand, right? Or whoever's there, and you see him shrink down. How many of you used to have nightmares about quicksand? Anybody? I used to have nightmares about quicksand, but I'd be somewhere and I'd take quicksand. And, you know, you go down, and the last thing is, is, is your hand, and you're hoping somebody sees it and pulls you out of there. And it's, it's almost as if the psalmist is describing that that quicksand. He's 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 in a pit. He's going down, and there's no hope of of saving yourself. Do you remember what they said about the quicksand, right? The more you fight against it, the faster you go down, and there's no hope of saving yourself. Hopefully, Tarzan hears your cry and comes along with the rope and throws it to you and pulls you out. Psalmist is brought face to face with the desperate condition of of who he is, and and so what should you do? You should embrace the bad news of your sin, not because you love it, but because it's true, because it reflects your condition. And as you embrace the bad news of your sin, seek the one who can save you from yourself. Seek the one who can save you from yourself. You ever, you ever been in a situation where you thought you literally might die? If you've ever been in a situation like that, but I was with a friend one time. We were in Africa, East Africa, traveling from uh, Nairobi to Mwanza, where he lived, Tanzania, from Kenya to Tanzania. And roads in Africa are amazing. Uh, there's really no traffic lights and no lines that we all are used to. It's just basically a road, and, and you're on the wrong side of the road while right? you drive. Uh, you know, at least from our perspective, and you're just going. And, and literally people will pull out to pass, and, and if they're coming at you, you've got to just bail out of the way, or they're going to run you over. We're, we're going down this road, and this big bus pulls out and comes right at us. My friend takes the car, and he veers off to the left side, because we're on the left side of the road. He veers off to the left side, and we're sideways on the side of the, of the road, literally like this. And... Uh, You know, you get in that situation, you don't have time to think. All you think is, save me, Lord, please save me. That's what the psalmist is doing here. Interesting. He's crying out to the Lord. But as I mentioned this morning, what's what's interesting that happens so many times in our lives, in the spiritual battle that we face, you know, physically we cry out to somebody to save us. In the spiritual battle, so many times what happens is, even as Christians, we get in a battle and we're overcome by sin. And who do we turn to for our salvation? So many times we turn to ourselves. You know, there's there's two choices on the shelf: pleasing God or pleasing self. And many times we choose our own way. The scriptures talk about that. We turn to our own way. And when we turn to our own way, 
what happens? Again, the dire consequences of sin. I mean, Adam and Eve, and we talked about this morning, faced uh, sinful temptation. And they handled it their own way. And even when God came to confront them, how did they handle that? Did they immediately cry out to God, God save me? How did they, how did they handle that situation? They, they did what with it? Right, they hid. They, they tried to deflect their, their own responsibility. They said, they said, God, it's not my fault. It's the woman's fault or the serpent's fault or this man's fault. Okay? They first of all tried to hide. They tried to cover. They tried to make their own covering. They, they hoped they could atone for themselves. And when God came face to face with them, they, they still weren't willing to turn to God. They're turning away from each other. And you know, I wonder how many of us are, are guilty of the same thing. When faced with the consequences of our sin. And for some, for, for, for some of you tonight, it may be a, a habit that is held on for years and years and years. And, and, and you're still trying to do it your own way. And, and you're facing the consequences of that, aren't you? For others, it's just the, 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 the prevailing presence of sin. And you feel the weight of that. And you feel the effects of sin in your own life and, and those that you love. And, and sometimes we're tempted to turn to ourselves. If I could make a true confession to you tonight, and I hope everything I've said is true, but if I could give you a little bit of transparency here at this point. If I had a bad day, and I have this every once in a while, but when I have a bad day, lots of pressure coming my way, maybe dealing with situations and, and trying to minister God's truth and putting out, putting out all day long. You know what I, I tend to want to do? I, I tend to want to come home, and if I'm not careful, I will self-medicate myself in order to feel better. You know what I do to self-medicate myself? It usually involves somewhere around a half gallon of ice cream and, uh, and chips or some other kind of food because I want to feel better about myself in that day. I feel like I deserve it. Okay? And we, we take that, I take that situation and, and, and I say, you know what? Instead of bringing this to the Lord, I'm going to handle this my own way. And whether it's food or whether it's some other kind of thing that you turn to, many times we're tempted when, when facing that despair and the weight of our sin, again, whether it's a habitual sin or, or just the presence of sin and feeling the effects of that, being around sinful people, we turn to our own way. My question for you is, what's your way? You know, what is the way that you naturally and sinfully want to deal with this pressure? Tonight, you should identify that. And by God's grace, turn from that and see the example of the psalmist here and how he dealt with that. Because again, the Bible presents life as it really is. Okay. We can identify with this verses 1, 2, and 3 in Psalm 130. We felt that despair. We felt the, the, the despair of being in the quicksand and thinking there is no way out. And many times we turn to our own way. The psalmist, though, having embraced the bad news of his sin, is seeking help for the one who can truly save us. 
He doesn't turn to Edie's ice cream or a box of chocolate, okay, or even against somebody to retaliate. What does the psalmist do when he faces that? Well, look at the text. Having said verses 1, 2, and 3 and recognized his condition, we see, but there is forgiveness with you. His focus is on the Lord. We see that even in the verses that we read earlier. Verse 1, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Verse 2, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears, Lord, be attentive to the voice of my supplication. When sensing his desperate condition and the weight of his sin, the psalmist shows us the way of hope. And the way of hope is not in us. The way of hope is in God. He turns to God. He cries to God. And he says, Lord, hear my voice. It speaks of, of a loud cry, of a cry who is, of someone who is in great need. And he says, Lord, please grant me your mercy. So tonight, if you're someone who's come feeling the weight of sin, and even though you've been regenerated, you've been converted, you have turned from darkness to light, and God has forgiven you of the penalty of your sin, the power of sin has been broken, you're experiencing the presence of sin. What is the hope for you? The hope for you is to do what the psalmist did. What should you do? Embrace the bad news of the gospel and seek the one who can save you from yourself. If you do that tonight, turn to the Lord. What do you find? What will you find? I think you'll find two things. Number one, that God's character is amazing. His character is amazing. When the psalmist owns his sin and turns to the one who can save him, what does the psalmist find? Verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. But there is forgiveness with you. The psalmist finds a God who is truly awesome. In fact, he finds a God who is truly Hear my word, awful. Awful. Not in the sense that we would use awful as bad, but awe, A-W-E. Awful. Full of awe. He finds a God who is amazing. As we said this morning, the Lord is not mean-spirited or eager to judge His people. He is amazing in the display of who He is. With God, there is forgiveness. Listen, I don't know what you think about God. Okay? I talked to, I was telling you, I talked to an individual this week, and, and, and so much of his, his thoughts of God are, are being shaped by his own human father. Okay? And part of the challenge for this man is to learn who God our Father is. He's not mean-spirited. He's not a God who says, oh, I can't wait until he messes up and I can get him. How do we know what God's like? Well, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, right? I mean, how does God respond when His creatures mess up 
a perfect creation. You know, we would respond with, you know, zap, you know, boom, you know, and they're gone, right? It's not what God did. God sent his son to redeem the very people who sinned against him and brought him to himself. God loves you tonight. You realize that? God loves you. And that's what Christmas is, is all about. That God shows his amazing character in sending his son. Come to God. If you're struggling under the weight of your sin, God, this isn't right. This isn't what you created me for. God, I, I need your help. I've been reading the Psalms a lot the past couple months. And what's interesting in the Psalms is so many times the psalmist will say, Lord, save me. Help me. Cries out to the Psalms for God, in the Psalms, for God to save us. You know what God does? He rescues us. He's not in heaven saying, mm, no, I'm not going to save him this time. Okay? He will always do what he does for his glory and our good. Okay? And, and, and sometimes he won't do it the way we expect, right? He won't do it the way we expect. But he'll always do it for his glory and our good. The psalmist cries to the Lord with his prayer and finds that God is amazing in his character. He's the source of genuine forgiveness. There is hope. There is help with the Lord. Listen to what other passages say. Let me read two. All right, Number one is Nehemiah 9.17. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of, listen, forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. Speaking of the children of Israel, Daniel 9.9 says, To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. Tonight, you know what? If you're a person who's struggling with sin, realize that God loves you and cry out to Him tonight for forgiveness. Cry out to Him for help. And you'll find that God is truly awesome. He's perfect in holiness and ready to forgive. And to that we say, wow. Verse 4 of Psalm 130. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be, what's the last word? Feared. Sometimes...
confess our sin, God forgives us so we can do whatever we want to. That's not a true believer, is it? A true believer doesn't love sin. When a true believer comes to God and asks for forgiveness, God forgives. And that is amazing. And we do what? Thank you, Lord. I don't deserve it. You know? In your confession of your sin, do you realize that the, the sin of your sin is that you have made yourself your own God? See, you know what I did when I, when I chose to go for that Edie's ice cream to make myself feel better? I was looking for satisfaction in something that God created, thinking that's where satisfaction was, and it's not there. It's, where is it? It's in God Himself. Now, I'm glad that we can have Edie's ice cream, right? I, I, it's wonderful to have a banana split to the glory of God. All right, and, and, and when we... Today we had a wonderful dinner with my family, and we had a, a, a banquet set up. And I let our family in prayer, and I said, thank you, God, for the gift of food. All right? And we can eat it to God's glory. But we need to use it in the way that God has intended it to be used. Okay? And i got to work on that, obviously. All right? But, but that's my point, is it's not that the food is bad, but I'm seeking something in that food that will never, I will never find it. Because I'm, I must seek my satisfaction in God alone. And that's true for whatever sin it is in your life. Yeah, I don't know you well enough to know what, what you're looking for satisfaction in. That you'll never find except God. But the sin of our sin is trying to make ourselves God and saying, this will be the thing that brings me satisfaction. So, when you embrace the bad news of the gospel and come to God, the one who can deliver you, what do you find? You find that God is amazing in His character. And you find that God's promises are certain. That God's promises are certain. But there is forgiveness with you, verse 4, that you may be feared. Look at verse 5 and verse 6. What, what's he saying here in verse 5 and 6? And don't you love that the fact that you can just open your text and look what God says. And that's all we're doing tonight is we're looking at the text. Verses 1 through 3 describe that condition. Verse 4 and 5, I mean, verse 4 describes God's amazing character. Verse 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed more than the watchman for the morning. Okay, What's he saying in verses 5 and 6? Having talked about God's character in verse 4, that it is truly awesome or awful, verse 5 and 6 describe the certain hope that the psalmist has. Do you see that in verse 5? He says, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in His word do I hope. For the psalmist, there is no doubt in God's character. It's amazing. Okay? For him, the fact of forgiveness is not in doubt either. The psalmist is waiting for the full experience of God's forgiveness and redemption. That was his hope. That was his hope. He says, Lord, life is tough. It is hard to live in the year 2010, soon to be 2011. I mean, with all the sin that comes, all the temptation that comes at us, our sinful nature that lives within us, it is hard. Is it hard to live right now? 
A Christian life that's holy and pure and right? Yeah, you bet it is. But what is our hope? Our hope is that we're looking for a day, aren't we, when what happens? When Jesus Christ comes back and He takes us home to heaven, and to that we say, Lord, make it happen when? You know, if you're engaged, you're saying, well, after I get married, right? But, you know, you're saying, Lord, let it happen tonight. Let it happen tonight. Even so, come quickly. My friend, what happens so many times for us is when we face the pressures of living in a sinker's world, we get our eyes off of that and we get our eyes on, you know what our goal is? I must have relief. And I need to have it now. And God says, by grace and through faith, get your eyes on heaven and the promise of Jesus Christ eminent for in thee do I hope. His hope is in the promise of God. And what's he doing as he's hoping for the promise of God? It says, in thee I, I kind of verse 5 start, I wait. What's the idea of the word wait? Anybody, anybody have any thoughts about that? When he says in verse, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait. What's the idea of waiting? What do you think? Is it, is it a, a waiting that says, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope it happens, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. Um, you know, is it that kind of wait? No, it's a, it's a, it's a wait of, hey, listen. Like I, I, I tell my son, I'll tell my son, Luke, we will go. We were we went to a hotel. I told my family sometimes they got a hotel with a pool. All right. So uh, we told our family we're going to go to the hotel at this time. You know what my son's doing? He's looking at the clock, going, "All right, only half an hour, only 15 minutes. You know, three, two, one. All right, yeah, ready? Because I'd given him a promise, and he was holding me to it. Or Christmas morning, we got our kids a dog." I don't know what got into us, but we got him a dog, probably 11 weeks old. Uh, it was hidden out at our friend's house for a week. So early Christmas morning, I had to go to Hamtramck to get the dog from my friend's house. And, and I did have to make a visit. There's a man in our church who's in the hospital. So I went to the hospital Christmas morning to visit him. And I told my family that I would be back at 9.30 for making that visit. I just didn't tell the rest of the story that I was also making another visit to pick the dog up. But you know what happened? I was a few minutes late. I stopped by. I found a donut shop that was open. You can have a couple donuts if you work out. But anyway, I uh, found a donut shop that was open, and so I was about five or ten minutes late. You know what happened at 9.30 on my phone as I'm driving down 94? Who called? Yeah, my kids called. Hey, Dad, 9.30. Where are you? You said we can open the gifts at 9.30. What were they doing? They were expecting something to happen and they were waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. Maybe that's a silly illustration but the psalmist is saying I am with confident expectation waiting for God. End of verse 5 in his word. In the word of God do I hope. What's verse 6 saying? 
repeats himself, right? More than the watchman waits for the morning um, is his waiting for the Lord. And he repeats that. What's the point there? Picture this, all right? You're a night watchman back in Israel. Okay, and they divided their night up and you know, maybe it was the third shift. We'll call it the third shift. The third shift was over, not when the clock struck six. Okay, they didn't have one of those time clocks. It's a you know, punch in, punch out. How did the third shift guy know his shift was over? When the sun came up. Now, that watchman was waiting for the sun. Was he wondering if the sun would come up? No, he wasn't wondering if the sun would come up. He wasn't watching saying, hmm, I wonder if it's going to come up today. He wasn't saying that. What was he doing? He was saying, I know the sun will come up, and when the sun comes up, I am finished with my shift. It wasn't a question of would the sun come up. It was certain that it was, and he was eagerly anticipating that. And my friend, that's what the psalmist is saying about his condition. God's promises are certain. There's a certain hope. And that's what the psalmist is saying in verse 6. So, when you sense the tremendous weight of your sin and you cry out to God for His mercy, what do you find? You find that God is amazing in His character and that His promises are certain. And so, my friend tonight, if you've come tonight with that burden, I tell you tonight to look to the Lord and trust Him. Doesn't answer in our timetable. Doesn't answer always according to our plans. Because remember, His plans are bigger than what our plans are. But God, for His glory and by His grace, will always do what is in our best interest. Notice, if you will, and we're done, verses 7 and 8. How does 7 and 8 tie into this passage? Verses 1 through 3 is the condition. Verse 4 is God's amazing character. Verse 5 and 6 is God's promise. You know how 7 and 8 ties in? What does he turn to do in 7 and 8? He's been contemplating and thinking these things. He's been anticipating the return of the, or the promise of the Lord. What's he doing in 7 and 8? You know what he's doing? He's turning to instruct or give testimony or encouragement to others. Okay, he says in verse 7, O Israel, turning from himself to those around him, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with Him is abundant redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. O Israel, turn to God. Trust in Him. He points others to God. You know what the hope for you is? That as you deal with your sin and turn to God in your sin and find out who He is, you know what the psalmist is saying to us tonight? As God teaches you about His character and you find His promises true, you know what God wants you to do? Tell that to others. Point others to Christ. Some of you have faced incredible trials. Some of you have faced a a, a path that you never could have chosen for yourself. And yet, in in that path, you have found God's grace sufficient. His mercy amazing. His compassion real. You know what the the psalmist is saying? He's saying, point 
Or in the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. says that God comforts us, verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 1, that God comforts us in all of our affliction so that we can comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God. And that's in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. So my friend, as you come tonight, I tell you, turn to the Lord. Embrace the bad news of the gospel. Realize that you are a sinner. That you need God's help. Turn to Him. Say, God, rescue me. Save me. Give me grace and mercy and strength. God, sustain me through this. And as you see the evidence of God's grace and find His character to be just amazing and His promise is true, point others to that promise. And in that way, you can have a For God's glory and by God's grace, may God help us to turn to Him as we begin a new year of this year. Let's pray. Father, again, we are mindful of our own sinfulness. I, I think tonight, even as I challenge these dear folks about your word of my own struggle in my heart and life, and know that I need your grace, God. Thank you for the evidence of that grace. And I ask that you would work in these folks' lives, strengthen them in your word. May they find your promise true, your character amazing, and through that may they point others to Christ. Lord, you haven't delivered us from trouble, but through trouble for your glory to be a shining a shining light of your grace and a conduit for your grace to others. I pray that you would do that in Ambassador Baptist Church for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.